I think we come to a pivotal moment now in the life of Barnabas uh, where we see that spirit being extended to the point where he would stand up to the great Apostle Paul and say, look, I think we need to, do, to give young John Mark, brother John Mark, a second chance. Uh, this was the spirit of Barnabas again uh, seen in a most excellent moment where he had the courage and the fortitude to even stand up against the Apostle Paul because of the values of reconciliation and renewal that he believed in. So it certainly is a, a highlight, I think, as far as the life of Barnabas is concerned. So just winding back uh, chronologically, of course, we're AD 51. Uh, we're two years later than the um, mission work which the Apostle Paul and Barnabas went on. We recognise in the end of chapter 14, verse 27 and 28, uh, the enthusiasm and the joy that filtered through the ecclesia as Barnabas and Paul returned with great news about more brothers and sisters in isolated foreign lands. And the ecclesia rejoiced in that particular incident and those events. But now in chapter uh, 15 and verse 1, we're introduced to a narrative that sort of adds a little bit of stress to the whole situation. Uh, there's actually some bullying tactics going on because chapter 15 of verse 1 says, certain men uh, came down from Judea and taught the brethren saying, you've got to be circumcised after the manner of Moses. So here, as we've said, chronologically, we're moving through. There's um, a division here between Paul and Barnabas about John Mark. It's AD uh, 51 here, and they're about to embark on, well, they were about to embark on their second journey. But, of course, uh, as we said, there's some elders, there's prestigious men of the sect of the Pharisees who became brethren, that they still had the remnant of that particular position about the law of Moses that they were clinging on to. And this was something that was going to feature, sadly, through the ecclesia in these early transitional years. So you'll notice here, uh, it, we've highlighted in chapter 15 and verse 1, this word men. So it doesn't use the word brethren. You'll notice even in built into the narrative in, in, in chapter 1, there's almost a contrast. It says certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. Well, they were all brethren. But of course, it's illustrating, of course, um, really the approach of some of these uh, elders from Jerusalem who weren't really treating the ecclesia in Antioch with right consideration. And so th there's that difference in the description. Certain men. Now what is particularly interesting about Acts chapter 15, and we've got this note here, there are more references to brethren in this chapter than any other in the New Testament. And it illustrates the importance of relationship in resolving differences. So there's this big Jerusalem conference that's going to happen. There's a bit of a problem, so it's believed, by the sect of the Pharisees, the, the brotherhood there, um, a small splinter group, we might even say, with what's going on in the ecclesia of Antioch. And so the record says they came down. Well, geographically, um, interestingly, it's not down at all, it's up on a map. Um, but of course, from perhaps a spiritual viewpoint, they thought, well, here we are centred in the ecclesia of Jerusalem, and we've got to go down to Antioch because... You know, there's a lot of Gentiles there, and not, they're not being respectful to the law of Moses and to the, um, the edict that circumcision is an absolute necessary for salvation. Well, that, that's particularly strange. And so, interestingly, as we've said, um, and it's worth colouring in, to be honest, this word brethren right through chapter 15, because here's where brethren come together to seek some resolution. And, of course, it was found by the spirit of Barnabas that certainly prevailed, prevailed on that conference together. Well, even in the term uh, of verse 1 there, it says they taught the brethren. I mean, this ecclesia had been uh, growing and nurturing and flourishing for some time now under the hands, as we saw, of teachers and prophets, uh, prestigious men who had a great foundation in the word of God. So this ecclesia in Antioch had been growing for some time. But now there's this schism that's being introduced 
because there were certain elements in the Jerusalem Ecclesia that believed that circumcision was an absolute must. And so that's what they're saying there in verse 1. It's an absolute must for salvation. One writer put it this way. He said, uh, it was one thing to accept the occasional God-fearing Gentile in the Ecclesia uh, who already had a sympathy with Jewish ways. It was quite another to welcome large number of Gentiles who had no regard for the law and no intention of keeping it. So there was this sort of element in Jerusalem, and obviously this is a culture that had been in place for hundreds and thousands of years, really, from the law of Moses. So they were finding it hard to do this transition from the ritual of keeping the law of Moses. And so they felt, um, at the end of verse 1 there, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot, you cannot be saved. Now you want to make a link, I've done this in my Bible, circle the word you cannot be saved and put it straight across to verse 11. Alright, because here's the statement in verse 11. We believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. Alright, so on one hand we've got, you can't be saved. And of course on the other side we've got, we shall be saved. So it immediately uh, links us across to this whole element of the, the mercy, the kindness, the forgiveness, the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Well, you know, this is a bit of a problem because verse 2 says that there was uh, no small dissension and disputation. Well, there's a, there's a few big words in there. Uh, dissension is the word stasis, where we get our word anastasis, uh, a, a resurrection, a, a standing forth. All right, so there's, there's a standing against here. And the word is used to describe, obviously, uh, quite a serious controversy that was mushrooming in the ecclesia. It's the word uproar in Acts 19 and verse 40. Remember Paul came into the Ephesian uh, amphitheatre there, the greatest Diana of the Ephesians, there's an uproar there. 5,000 voices reverberating through this amphitheatre. Well, that same word uproar is the word here, um, dissension. Well, the other word, of course, is a disputation. So, you know, that we're adding to this whole uh, particular problem. Disputation. And the Greek word means an intense questioning or a dissection of the arguments or a great reasoning. So there's a big, big issue mushrooming in the Jerusalem Ecclesia. And there's a bit of antagonism against the Antioch Ecclesia and this needs to be resolved. Now you'll notice twice in verse 2 the word Barnabas is mentioned. All right? So wherefore Paul and Barnabas is there to term that Paul and Barnabas. So we're introducing this inter-ecclesial consultation process in which Barnabas is already a prominent figure. I know Paul's mentioned there, obviously, but I'm just you know, emphasising that Barnabas is in the thick of it and he's resisting and refusing their contention uh, and by, by their maintenance of the requirement of circumcision. Now, Barnabas, we might say, is a big player in this particular aspect of reconciliation because he was a Levite he had an in-depth knowledge of the word of God and he had the capacity to resist the experts in the law of Moses. So remember, winding back to our first study, we almost glossed over the point that just said, and he was a Levite. Well, now when we come to this picture in Acts chapter 15, it's particularly important because he was educated, he was a teacher, he was a Levite. He had a full knowledge of what the law of Moses was all about. And, of course, he held a very accurate view of what the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ all involved. So we see now a maturing process of Barnabas. Remember we had a look at Galatians chapter 2, where Paul stood back in amazement and he said, I can't believe it that Barnabas was carried away with much dissimulation. There was a time when Barnabas stood on the other side of the fence. He was carried away with this uh, Pharisee element of the brotherhood. And Paul said, I can't believe he stood with them. Now we see a maturing process Barnabas isn't standing with them anymore. He's standing with the Apostle Paul. 
And so there's this uh, joint effort again, as we've just seen consistently, this uh, firm spirit between Barnabas and Paul as they stood for the right elements of the truth. So here in Acts chapter 15 and verse 2, you've got Barnabas there twice. And of course, as they come down, what's uh, particularly wonderful here, they're, they're on their way down and um, they've been chosen from as delegates from the Antioch, Antioch Ecclesia. And so verse 3 describes them being brought on their way by the Ecclesia. They pass through Phoenice and Samaria. And so they're on their way down. And you'll notice there, and I've got this coloured in in green in my verse 3, they caused great joy among all the brethren. What a contrast. What a contrast. Here this conflict is mushrooming up in the Jerusalem Ecclesia. There's antagonism. We might even say there's a bit of a bullying going on. But when Barnabas and Paul come down, the end of verse 3, there's not negative rumours and innuendo they're throwing amongst the brotherhood. They come down and they're causing great joy to the brethren. Doesn't that show an amazing positive spirit? And here you see again this emphasis here in verse 3 and verse 4, uh, this plurality. Their way, they passed through, they caused, they were come, they were received, they declared all, all that God had done with them. So again, they're standing firm in their friendship. And this wasn't just a trivial issue for Barnabas, otherwise he would have given way for the sake of peace and saying, look, let's work it all out and let's, you know, we want to follow the pathway of peace. Barnabas realised this was a fundamental issue and he was going to oppose it and he was going to stand with the Apostle Paul. And their points were going to be that if it was necessary for a Gentile to be uncircumcised, then the death of the Lord Jesus Christ was insufficient. I mean, this is a massive point, isn't it, really? If it required circumcision for salvation, then the death of Christ was insufficient. And for Barnabas, he was, he was going to fudge on that fundamental principle. And not only that, of course, with Paul, he travelled many areas on their mission work and brought brothers and sisters into the saving truth. And did that mean, of course, now that they would un be unsaved and the gospel message, message would have been invalidated? So these were foundation and fundamental principles that Barnabas uh, stood up for. So as we said in verse 3, they caused great joy. It's the work of the encourager. Right? We've seen that threaded through the events of Barnabas's life. Despite the seriousness of the situation, they were still bubbling over with enthusiasm as to what their mission work had accomplished some time before. I mean, we sort of put on a special lecture and by the time a week's gone, we've sort of forgotten about it. Um, but for Barnabas and Paul, this was a substantial point of joy that they wanted to share with many other brothers and sisters. So I guess the question for us, brethren and sisters, is do we have that positive spirit? Um, do we enjoy and uphold what our ecclesia is doing and progressing? You know, are there certain events in our life that we can attach ourselves to that brought us to a spiritual high? I mean, I can think of many Bible schools uh, and areas that I've been in where I've met brothers and sisters and you know, for a week we've enjoyed fellowship and it's been substantial and it's like a positive highlight in your life. We need those positive highlights in our lives. And um, Beth was just talking to me last night, I think it was, and she was showing a picture to me of the Lismore Ecclesia. And I thought it was rather wonderful that obviously they've gone through a time of great distress, but they're in the Ecclesial Hall. They've got all organised their tables with their food products and other supplies. And above that there's sort of a headline, do all to the glory of God. And she said, oh, isn't it wonderful how they can reach out to the community in the context of preaching the truth. And so, of course, the, the Lismore Ecclesia is using this in a practical way as a gospel outreach as well, which is really wonderful. So, you know, we don't want to be discouraged in the truth. Whatever our circumstances in life are, we want to try the best as we can to maintain a positive spirit. Well, we notice in verse 4, they were received of the Ecclesia. 
So I just want to make this point. There was no conflict with the apostles, all right? When we read this uh, text, we might think, oh, wow, what's going on here? Jerusalem, Antioch, Ecclesia. No. You know, the apostles fully understood the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they were received of the Ecclesia. No conflict with the apostles at all. They are respected and they are honoured. In fact, you'll notice if you flip over the page and you come to verse 26, there's the commendation of the apostles. Verse uh, 26 said, these are men that have uh, hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So for these men, there was, there was great respect and there was great honour as well. And they talk about, of course, the, their beloved brother Paul and Apollos. So from the perspective of the Jerusalem Ecclesia, uh, they were well honoured. Well, when uh, Paul and Barnabas came down to the Jerusalem Ecclesia, of course, the record uh, shows that what they had achieved. And we remember we highlighted this particular aspect, that they highlighted what God had done uh, as far as mission work was concerned. And this was the, the promotion, not so much their own work, but of what God had accomplished in the Ecclesia. And there it is at the end of verse 4, of course. It says, uh, the apostles and the elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. And so that's uh, certainly a, a highlight uh, as far as that was concerned. And that's emphasised right through this particular chapter here. So into verse 4, what God had done. Again in verse 7, uh, God made the choice. Verse 8, and God. Verse 12, what God had wrought. All right, so here's the promotion of, of Paul and Barnabas. Not themselves, but the filtering out work of God to people and the invitation was extended to them for the kingdom. So their emphasis is this is not what we've done. God has put his seal upon this, his guarantee of salvation for these Gentiles. So we notice in verse 5, it says there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees. You can imagine the tension, the anxiety at this conference. They're all there, uh, you know, around a big board table perhaps, and they're going to discuss these things. Here comes the sect of the Pharisees. Um, and now they open up the scriptures and they're going to discuss this. And so uh, these, these men are, are confronting the others and commanding that the law of Moses uh, should be maintained and upheld. And so the apostles all drew together to discuss this. Now I'm not going to go through the particular um, speech, but of course here's the emphasis that I've already said there, verse 7, verse 8 twice, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, as to what God had done. So this is a, a foundational point as the conference is being introduced. But there's really three elements to this discussion here in Jerusalem. So the first one is Peter who stands up and he really talks about the past through the proof of Cornelius that God is accepting of the Gentiles. That's a given, that's an obvious. So Peter stands up and he gives that point. Then Paul and Barnabas stand up and they talk about the present. They say, well, we've just been on mission work and we've seen God's providence. We've got the Antioch and the Galatian Ecclesia. So they talk about the present. And then James stands up and he talks about the future and he cites the future temple which will be raised up, the house of David, a house of prayer for all nations. So in a very beautiful way, past, present and future were all concentrated together in the way that these brethren constructed their um, argument. We notice in verse 12, it says, Then all the multitude kept silence, and notice the order here, gave audience to Barnabas and to Paul. So Barnabas is mentioned first, perhaps he rose to his feet, Paul rose with him, and there they stood together in once the area, the same area that Barnabas, Barnabas introduced Saul. 
During the Jerusalem Ecclesia, remember many years before, Saul had come down from Damascus and it was Barnabas's work to introduce him into the Ecclesia, winding back many, many years before. And now here they are standing together in the same firm aspect of the truth because Barnabas was a lover of the brotherhood. And really what they emphasise here is not what we say, it's the results of what we do in life. And God has wrought this amazing work of salvation. So they rose jointly and nobody challenged their statement. It was very, very powerful. So as we say, then the discussion continued, of course, and it was summarised by James. And the conclusion was circumcision is not required as a method of salvation under the saving name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Justification was to be by faith. So we come across to verse 25, because it's not our desire to unpack, of course, this particular conversation. We come across to verse 25, where again Barnabas is, is noticed first. And we notice the particular preface to Barnabas's name, the beloved Barnabas. Right? So here's the summary. They're now going to be going back to the ecclesias and saying it's not a requirement of circumcision. Salvation is by grace. So verse 25 says, it seems good to us being assembled with one accord. So this is great. Unity and reconciliation had been achieved. The spirit of Barnabas, we might say, was emanating through that conference. To send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Beautiful little title there. I mean, this could have all fragmented into a lot of argumentation, inter-ecclesial disfellowshipping and all those sorts of things. But in the end, it's a great summary and it's now going to be promoted by the beloved Barnabas and Paul. And you can imagine when they travelled back to the ecclesia in Antioch, what relief, what joy would have sort of been the environment of that ecclesia as they brought back this news that it's by grace and by God's mercy that we are saved and, and the law of Moses is not relevant in the aspect of salvation. And of course, we've got that comment there in verse 31. And Barnabas's name is in here. It says, which when they read, they came back to Antioch, delivered the epistle, which when they read, they rejoiced for the, and here's Barnabas's name, Paracletus. The consolate, what, a, what an unusual word to put in the narrative. When they uh, read that, they rejoiced for the consolation. Well, that's Paraclesis. Remember, in our opening study, Barnabas is the son of consolation. Chapter 4, verse 36. That's Barnabas' signature right there. The consolation, the spirit of Barnabas that emanated from this individual and really had distilled right through that Jerusalem conference. And there was reconciliation that was born. Well, you know, it's not a happy ending to this particular chapter. It's a bit like life. You know, as we go through life, it's not always a happy ending. And it's quite unusual and quite astounding that the very chapter that contains the reconciliation of inter-ecclesial affairs and brethren ends up with a fragmentation of a very precious friendship. And that friendship that had been forged in the heat of persecution and affliction and physical harm now was broken up because they saw two different aspects to life. And I guess it illustrates for us how fragile our friendships can really be. Yeah, especially human-made friendships, how fragile they are. Hopefully, you know, the, the friendships that we forge in the truth are substantial, but sometimes there are issues that arise that we see very differently. And here was a fragmentation as far as Paul and Barnabas were concerned. So Paul and Barnabas decide, they think it's a good idea to take this news back to the Galatian Ecclesias, to urge them to disconnect from this Judaistic party that was spreading 
this uh, ridiculous requirement through the ecclesial world. And so Paul and Barnabas were both keen to go back and to visit and to reinforce and to encourage those ecclesias in the freedom that they had in Christ. So as we have in verse 36, there's a conversation between Paul and Barnabas and they said, let's go and visit our brothers in every city where we preach the word and we want to see how they do. Well, that was okay. And Barnabas suggested as well that they should take John Mark. So there, verse 37, Barnabas determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark. So one of the priorities that Barnabas had was that John Mark should not be discouraged in the work that he'd been previously involved in, but he defected from. If Barnabas wanted to give him a second chance, let's rebuild John Mark, let's give him a second chance. He'd done that for the Apostle Paul, hadn't he? Twice. Once when Saul came back to the Jerusalem, Barnabas, Barnabas said to the ecclesia there, this man has been converted, he's now a brother in Christ. And another time when, when Barnabas went across to Tarsus to get Saul to bring him into the Antioch Ecclesia. Barnabas was a man who gave people second chances. And here he says to Paul, in a sense, Paul, I gave you a couple of chances. Let's give John Mark a second chance. And that's a wonderful thing for us, isn't it? Uh, sometimes we do default and sometimes our behaviour is bad. Hopefully as brothers and sisters we can recognise that is inherent in all of us and we give one another second chances. And that's the Barnabas spirit. And what's so beautiful in this chapter is Barnabas not only works in ecclesias, not only in inter-ecclesial relationships, he's never too big to forget the needs of individuals. So this whole chapter is all about an inter-ecclesial reconciliation and Barnabas is there, but in the same context, he never forgets about the little individuals that are struggling in life. And I think that's wonderful. You know, in the ecclesia, we can get busy and it's a big ecclesia and it's humming and it's thriving and it's doing things and sometimes little individuals get lost. But not for Barnabas. He said, let's give John Mark... Um, a, a second term. We want to build this brother. We want to nurture him up. Well, Paul wouldn't take any of it. So verse 38 says, Paul said, no, it's not good. I don't want to take that one. I'm going to read from Rotherham's. Rotherham says, but Paul deemed it right. Couldn't even say the name of John Mark. Paul deemed it right as to him who had withdrawn from then, back from Pamphylia, and had not gone with them unto the work, not to be taking with them this man. Quite brutal, really, the way Paul says that. I'm not going to take this man. Couldn't even say his name. And he departed from us. It's the Greek word apostasia. means to fall away or to apostatize, like very strong terms. Well, verse 39 says there was a sharp contention. Again, the Greek word means to, to have a spasm, a convulsion, an uncontrolled outburst. It's hard to imagine, isn't it, between Paul and Barnabas, uh, men with great passion on both sides, and Barnabas with his big heart, you know, that this sort of infraction would take place. But it shows, I think, a really wonderful side of the character of Barnabas. Barnabas had a big heart and he was determined to stand by his values of giving John Mark, an individual, a second chance. And that shows the strength and the character of Barnabas who could stand up against a man with the vigour like the Apostle Paul and say, no, this brother here, he's disappointed himself, he turned back, he recognises it, he wants to put his hand up again and help and we should assist him. Paul said, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, he hasn't got the stamina. You know what's interesting, this word sharp contention? The, it's only used one other occasion in the Bible. It's the word provoke, all right? So this is that word provoke. It's in Hebrews 10.24. You need to put it in your margin. Hebrews 10.24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. So here's the two contexts. One where there's an individual argument, a provoking of each other. When Paul documented in Hebrews 10, verse 24, I wonder if you had to think back to this incident with Barnabas. Let's consider. 
And let's think and meditate and reflect in a positive way one another. And let's actually provoke one another, not, not to anger or indifference, but to love. So there's those two quotations. But of course the outcome uh, was particularly sad and the record says they departed asunder. Uh, the word means to sever. It's a, it's a strong word again, only used on one other occasion. Rome, uh, Revelation 6 verse 14 where it says, and the heavens were split apart. <laughs> so here's two men going two different directions. The record goes on and says, Barnabas took John. Same word in Acts 9 verse 27, Barnabas took Paul. <laughs> so it's almost like a repeat of a situation. So there was a very um, strong disagreement between these uh, two, two brethren. I've just got this comment here, perhaps it's something of a comfort in our own disagreements to know that for a time these two great men were not of the same mind. Well, sometimes even in our marriages where we're supposed to work together as a team we see things differently and those relationships uh, can be harmed. Um, we've got to be able to recover from those. We've got to be able to reconcile. We've got to be able to work together and this is really important. And the same experience here was for Barnabas and for Paul. Uh, one writer puts it, I think, a little bit too brutally. And, and I don't quite agree with his words but he describes the situation like this. He said, the son, this son of consolation lost his temper in a dispute over his cousin and Paul uses sharp words with him. Often it's in the little irritations of life that give occasion to violent explosions. If the incident in Galatians 2, so when Barnabas was carried away, had already taken place, there was a sore already in place that could be easily rubbed. And if Mark joined with Peter and Barnabas on that occasion, Paul had fresh ground for irritation. Paul and Barnabas parted in anger and in sorrow. Well, that was the fact. And again, another little sad comment here. Paul owed more to Barnabas than to ever any other man. And sadly, Barnabas was leaving the greatest follower of Christ. What a sad disagreement between two great friends in which their friendship had been forged in the heat of dispensing the gospel. And it wasn't rooted in their own pride. They just saw things in a different way. But you know what? The outcome was actually quite positive. We look at this situation and think, oh, that's, that's particularly sad. But I'm going to give you six points now as to why this situation actually had a positive outcome. So here's the um, six, six points. First one, Paul and Barnabas kept the problems to themselves. They had a personal disagreement. They, they didn't try and involve or spread it to others, all right? Um, they didn't deprecate each other. They had a disagreement, and there's no indication in the New Testament, that would indicate a loss of respect for each other. In fact, I'll build a couple of quotations that show the very reverse. Uh, Paul and Barnabas didn't seek to make this a biblical issue. They recognised this was sort of, a, in a sense, an issue of conscience. Barnabas felt they should give a second chance to John Mark. Paul felt differently. So it wasn't a biblical issue. And sometimes we try and bring Bible quotes in to back up our personal opinion, which is not always right. Um, both Paul and Barnabas assisted John Mark by what they did. Knowing that Paul wouldn't take him probably had an impact on John Mark, and knowing that Barnabas was willing to invest in time obviously gave him the impetus, well, I, I need to prove myself because I've seen what's happened here. So Mark took his inadequacy seriously and strove to prove himself a faithful man, which he did. The separation of Paul and Barnabas was a cooperative action, not a competitive one. Uh, so they both went on different courses. They promoted the gospel in different areas. So it was a profitable thing. They weren't competing. They just went into different areas to um, promote the gospel. 
Uh, Barnabas's ministry uh, with Paul had come to an end. Mark needed Barnabas's gift of encouragement much more than Paul did. Uh, the separation of Barnabas paved the way for the selection of other um, disciples and followers like Silas and Timothy, Titus and Luke. So it involved others as well. And finally, the New Testament bears witness to some of the very positive changes in outlook in both Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas backed off from taking Mark into more dangerous areas, so he goes into Cyprus' hometown. Um, Mark had successfully served in that area. And Paul, of course, grew through this and he realised he needed to be more sensitive and more tender towards those who are not as thick-skinned as he was. So there was, you know, a learning experience for the Apostle Paul as well. I've sort of talked to some of the brothers and sisters about the letter to Philemon. The Apostle Paul wrote in very gentle terms, and I think that was the Barnabas spirit moving through to the way that the Apostle Paul um, wrote that particular letter of appeal. So Paul maintained his um, high regard for Barnabas. This is at the end of the story, right? Sometimes we get to this um, particular narrative and we think, well, that's a sad end to Barnabas and Paul. But you know what? That is not the end of the story. So there's a couple more quotations that we can bring on board to show uh, the aftermath of this particular event. So we don't see any more activity as far as Barnabas is concerned in the book of Acts. Narrative moves on to focus on the Apostle Paul. But there's a jewel in two final references to Barnabas. So here's the first one. It's in Corinthians. So this was written AD 56. So this is around about five years after this incident. All right, so Paul writes the Corinthian Ecclesia and he mentions Barnabas. And it's in the incident that the, the Corinthian Ecclesia were criticising him because Paul wasn't charging for his services, which seems a strange thing. But they were saying, oh, he's not a valid apostle because he's not asking for financial support. And Paul's saying, well, I, I want to preach the gospel for free and I've got the right to preach it for free. If I've got the resources to do it for free, I'll do it for free. And he brings on Barnabas as a companion in that whole aspect. So he says, am I not free? I'm, a, I'm an apostle. I've seen the Lord Jesus Christ and you are the workmanship in the Lord. Do we not have the right to take a believing wife? The other apostles are doing that, the brothers of the Lord and Peter as well. And look at this beautiful reference here. He, he brings up Barnabas as a great example. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So what he's saying is Barnabas and I, we fund ourselves our gospel preaching methods. We're not going to draw on the financial resource of an ecclesia. Barnabas and I stand together in the way that we promote the gospel. So that's a great commendation. This is five years after that argument. Barnabas is obviously continuing his mission work in other areas and Paul uses him as a great example. So he elevates him almost in the, that context to an apostle, doesn't he? He's bringing on the example of the apostles. Of course, he includes Barnabas in that. So there were very few people that were prepared to make the sacrifices like the Apostle Paul did and like Barnabas did in uh, pre presenting their work in different fields. But Paul now exalts in the work of Barnabas. There's no resentment there in that particular quotation. There's no ongoing festering of a different disagreement. Uh, the general, I might say the generosity of the Barnabas spirit here has left its mark on Paul in the way he included Barnabas there. Paul is now a big-hearted man. He recognises the positive element that Barnabas was providing in the truth. And the other one, of course, here is in, in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10. Um, he writes to the Colossian Ecclesia, he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, and let's remember, brothers and sisters, he's the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction. If he comes, welcome him. So here, he's upholding two people. John Mark, commending, and you know who he is, He's the cousin of Barnabas, commending. So again, here's another reference. 
so the epistle was written about AD 61. So this is about 10 years on from the Jerusalem conference, 10 years on from the disagreement that Paul and Barnabas had at one stage. And now, again, he's lifting up both John Mark and Barnabas as well. That's the final mention, really, of Barnabas and John Mark, and that's a lovely commendation by the Apostle Paul. I think if you look between the lines, what the Apostle Paul is saying in this final comment is, you know what, brothers and sisters, I think Barnabas was right. <laughs> I think that's what he's saying in that quotation there. I think Barnabas might have been right. And the Apostle Paul brings that commendation to these two faithful brethren. Well, as we said, um, Philemon uh, was written as well by the Apostle Paul. We see that Barnabas spirit. And interestingly, the letter to Philemon was written to bring two people together. So it's not in the old style that Paul would have done it, you know, very definitively, brother, you, you need to help Anisimus. He's now a brother in truth, so take him back in. It's written in very gentle terms. It's the Barnabas spirit again. And in Philemon, uh, and verse 24, he says, John Mark, Aristarchus, and Demas Lucas, they're my fellow labourers. So he includes John Mark in that reference as well and counts him as a fellow labourer. And a bit later on, I mean, I'm moving on to John Mark here, but in 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, um, the Apostle Paul, in this final letter, final moment really, he requests that John Mark be brought to him. And this is what he says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, he's useful to me for the ministry. So Paul is almost acknowledging, well he is acknowledging really that Barnabas was right. Barnabas gave John Mark a second chance and here in this final letter by the Apostle Paul, he says, can you bring John Mark? I'm actually finding him really useful in the ministry. He's a benefit to me. <laughs> That's a, a wonderful comment really from the Apostle Paul who was influenced by the Barnabas spirit. Um, and I think there was obviously some changes in all of those brethren and that's the story of our lives isn't it as we interact with brothers and sisters in ecclesial life sometimes it's tough sometimes it's not easy sometimes people make difficult comments for us to swallow sometimes it's commendation that's all nice but in the swirl of ecclesial life we're influencing each other hopefully for good we're maturing each other and we're requiring the character of the lord jesus christ so in many ways of course barnabas as we look down at all the positive aspects uh, of his life, he was certainly an excellent support and help to the ecclesia. He encouraged the ecclesia by supporting it financially. Remember back in our first study, this was his first point of assistance, by visiting the believers in many locations, by using his gifts and teaching, he encouraged the ecclesia. He encouraged the Apostle Paul, just think about that. Here's a man who wanted to go out and preach the gospel. Anyone want to come with me? You know, Barnabas is ready to go. He encouraged Paul by comprehending what God had done in Paul's life by recognising the potential that was in Paul when he introduced him back into the ecclesia, when he got him from um, Tarsus, by assisting Paul in his work in the ecclesia, by helping Paul develop his ministry. As we've just seen, Barnabas encouraged John Mark by forgiving his past mistakes, taking him under his wing and helping him develop personal courage to the point where Paul requested John Mark in his final epistle. And he encourages us today, he's an example of selfless giving, he's an example of his service and his leadership, he gives us an example of his service to his fellow believers. So what have we seen over the course of our week as far as Barnabas is concerned? We've seen that he's a very generous person. And right there at the beginning, starting point, he was practically helping and supporting his brothers and sisters. We've seen that Barnabas was a true friend of the Apostle Paul, the importance of forgiveness. Like there was a lot of harm and a lot of uh, unfortunate circumstances because of the anger of Saul 
that had its consequence and in influence in families in the Ecclesia. But Barnabas was able to look beyond that and see the forgiveness that's in Christ. Barnabas was a good man, uh, the importance of innovation. He went to the Antioch Ecclesia as an investigation on the part of the Jerusalem Ecclesia and he stood back and he admired and he loved the grace of God that was seen in that Ecclesia. Not only that, he was prepared to support the Apostle Paul on mission work he was prepared to take risks and we've seen some of the persecution and the endurance that it required as we saw this morning that through much tribulation uh, we too will enter the kingdom and finally of course we've seen him as a thoughtful brother the importance of diversity sometimes we see things from a different viewpoint and that can be a growing experience for everyone that's involved in that particular situation so we need to be the, the sort of person that Barnabas was happy about the truth and trying to influence others for good. So Barnabas didn't walk in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. He walked alongside the Apostle Paul and he encouraged that great man. He was a great influence in the life of the Apostle Paul. So, you know, Barnabas didn't disappear from Scripture because every time we open up to one of the Gospel records, the stamp of Barnabas is there. The consequences to what Barnabas achieved is there. So when we open up to the Gospel of Mark, written by John Mark, that really is an outcome and a consequence of the investment that Barnabas placed in this young brother to develop him. So we've got the encouragement of Barnabas even affects us today. Well, we've got the Gospel of Mark, but we've also got all these letters here, which really Barnabas influenced by bringing into the Ecclesia the Apostle Paul and by allowing him through the grace of God to continue to have his impact. Well, tradition says that sadly he was martyred in Cyprus, his home country town. And um, it was a very, I, I guess in some ways, a, a sad end to his life. It's not contained in the, in the scripture of truth. But certainly he was initial in his, his effect for this man Saul. And we think about this whole scenario. If he didn't allow Saul or introduce Saul to the ecclesia, what would have happened to this man Saul? Would he have disappeared into the backwaters of Damascus and Arabia or who knows where? Tarsus left at Tarsus, who knows? So the work of Barnabas is seen in the way that um, it, it sort of distilled out to the Apostle Paul. So he was, certainly was a, a great motivator. I want to finish with uh, one scene really, and, and it's a scene at the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, these two men walked away from each other. They took two different pathways. They separated for a moment. And in the heat of the moment, they probably didn't look back. There was no embrace. There was a flicker of burning anger, perhaps, and some sadness as well. These two men took two different directions in life. But imagine the scene now at the judgment seat, the resurrection, where the Apostle Paul is there. And he's crowded. You can see the Apostle Paul there. He's got all the, the fellow workers that he enjoyed time together. We're in the presence of the angels, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's bestowed immortality. And now there's Paul. He's moving around all these great brethren that were with him. Men like Timothy and Silas and Titus. They're all there. They're reconnecting after 2,000 years. And then you see a moment there. Someone rushes across and it's Paul and Stephen. And, and, and Paul is there saying, trying to make amends for you know, the discouragement he gave and also you know, for his involvement in the death of Stephen, there's this great reconciliation between Paul and Stephen. But then you have this picture that a broad man strides across the ground, a broad man, a solid man, and he comes before the Apostle Paul and they embrace him. It's Barnabas. The crowd almost separates and Barnabas and Paul are reunited together in that beautiful friendship that would last for eternity. 
And you can see the tears between both of them. As they recall the great experiences, the tough times they had together, the valiant stridings, the upholding the gospel. And then from the distance, John Mark runs across and they give a group hug. And they're all there joined together in friendship. It'll be an embrace that never ever leaves Barnabas again in the shadows. An embrace that will never ever be torn asunder and go two different pathways. An embrace, brothers and sisters, which will be fixed in eternity when the sun of consolation becomes the final consolation. We want to be there, don't we? We want to be there in this moment to enjoy with these great men and the influence they've even had on our lives. And we can be there, brothers and sisters, if we determine to be encouragers and together we develop the Barnabas spirit.